0: All right, thanks for joining us, everybody. Clayton Hester here from the KFES Digital News Desk, and we've got Barry Bean with us for "By the Bushel," our program all about agribusiness uh, news headlines, commentary, and analysis. Um, uh, Barry, how
1: are you doing today? Well, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I, uh, I've gotten outside a time or two today, and uh, and I can tell you that. Um, This weather is a lot better weather for a cotton plant than it is for a cotton farmer. But um, (laughs) but we're 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 doing pretty well. The crops are uh, are are weathering the storm uh, fairly well here in the boot heel. That's that's not the case universally. But um, the short answer to your question is I am I am doing just fine, doing just fine.
0: All right, glad to hear that. Yeah. I know coming up, you've got some information for us about a hiring day for grain inspectors coming up in New Madrid. Uh, Yeah, could you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Before we start getting into the quotes, um, the Missouri Department of Agriculture is hiring grain inspectors up at New Madrid through Friday. Now, if you go to the Missouri Department of Agriculture website, or you can call the Missouri Department of Agriculture up in, uh, up in Jefferson City, they will give you the particulars, but uh, this is a seasonal work, but they really, really need to hire some inspectors. You know, they just recently had a hiring day to hire peanut inspectors, for the uh, for the Delta Peanut uh, Factory down there, our processing plant, and uh, so this will be uh, this will be grain inspectors who'd be working on on a, on a couple of the elevators and ports here in Southeast Missouri. So, uh, want to be sure that people are looking at that if they're if they're thinking about something to do um, through harvest and into the winter. A little bit. Uh, two other events. Just to throw out before we get too deep into the into the weeds. Pardon the pun. Uh, one is that the uh, Missouri Farm Bureau Commodity Conference starts this Thursday in Jefferson City. This is a this is a free event, a two day event where uh, we bring in people from all over the state, producers from all over the state, and then speakers from all over the country to talk about uh, commodity production. Um, it's, it'll be especially focused on on live- stock and grains. Uh, We we focus our cotton and rice stuff a little bit more on events down here in the boot heel. But that is going on for the next two days up at Missouri Farm Bureau. You can go to ilmofb.org for information on that. And we'll talk about this again next week, but don't forget the greatest thing since sliced bread, the biggest event between St. Louis and Memphis, uh, is Field Day coming up next week. And, uh, and this week, they are gonna have, this, this year, they are gonna have a uh, expo on Wednesday morning. So a week from tomorrow, they're at the Delta Center in Portageville from 8 a.m. to noon. They're gonna have some of the top researchers in the country there to talk one-on-one with producers about the research that they're doing answer questions about what you're seeing in your own fields. And then also an expo with different organizations that like Farm Bureau, for instance, will have tables there talking about everything from ag technology, uh, seed breeding, new, new chemistries available to uh, organizations that work with producers on, uh, on rural business financing mental health um, all sorts of things so be sure and put that on your calendar for next wednesday morning and and that as well is a is a free event all you need to do is show up at the delta center uh, out there at the lee farm and they will be uh, more or in your hall rather to uh, to walk you through and you'll you'll learn more than you than you thought there was to know
0: All right. Absolutely. That's 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 when you know you're really learning is when you you didn't know you didn't know it could go that far, you know. Um, And uh, so uh, as we as we get into things today, I know that we're going to talk a little bit in a little bit. uh, So stick around, folks, about how uh, the weather, the heat uh, will be affecting certain sectors of the market. But uh, yeah, just to get us into the weeds of what it looks like right now. um, Yeah. What's 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 our current situation for for the ag market?
1: All right. Well, let me just uh, hop over here to to our market screen, and uh, as you can see over here, it was it was a better day for cotton than for our other commodities today. Um, December cotton closed at 84.36, up 65. The uh, new crop cotton closed at 79.25, up 20. That's the uh, 24 crop. Now corn was off a little bit, down three cents at 4.79 and a half soybeans were down 15 and 3 quarters and rough rice was down a penny at a 1582 wheat had a little bit of a mixed day with the uh, December 23 wheat at a 627 and a half and a December 24 wheat at 673 and a half and if you look over here at our cotton chart you you kind of see what's going on a little bit with cotton one of the reasons that cotton had a little a little better day today than the other commodities. Is if you look right over here, you'll see that we had a pretty substantial sell-off in the last two sessions at the end of last week, and uh, and so now we may be uh, recovering from that just a little bit. And, uh, and getting into the, uh, the headlines about why those markets are behaving the way they are, uh, one of them is that there was a uh, there was a story in yesterday's Wall Street Journal. In the headline, it said China's 40-year boom is over. Rising fears of an extended slump, and uh, as long as that story is is out there in in the larger economy, that means investors across the board are getting nervous about consumption. Uh, you know, we, we hear a lot about the Chinese in the uh, in the sense of trade wars or in the sense of uh, when people are talking about foreign ownership of ag land, but it's important that we remember that with uh, roughly a quarter of the Earth's population over there, they are also agriculture's absolute best customers. Uh, certainly best in terms of volume anyhow, maybe not always in, in terms of, uh, of behavior. But with with that out there, that has, that's throwing a wet blanket on almost everything else. And uh, you know, on, on top of that, we're, uh, we're also looking at a, uh, an updated hurricane season outlook. Um, uh, NOAA released their, uh, their hurricane season outlook and increased the estimate of named storms from a range of 12 to 17 up to a range of 14 to 21. So you can see that even if we are at the lower end of that range, we are at the higher, in, higher to mid range for what we would normally expect. It expects to see the a number of hurricanes up from a normal five to nine to be somewhere between six and 11 in the current year. Um, And major hurricanes, uh, they expect to see two to five of them. Uh, This is, of course, in the Gulf, um, although we have just recently uh, seen a storm come in on the West Coast, but I think we can all mark that up as a a once in a lifetime occurrence. I certainly hope that we can uh, Mark that as a uh, once-in-a-lifetime occurrence. So, you know, China and hurricanes are are the big things that we're looking at. You know, on the plus side, um, in Texas, they are still looking at problems with cotton. It is continued poor weather uh, for cotton, and and although the demand is there, as I mentioned, with the concern over China, it is wavering just a little bit. Also looking at crop conditions, (laughs) excuse me, we're looking at uh, 33% of the cotton crop in good, excellent condition versus 36% just last week. So we can see that crop condition is continuing to to decline. And as this heat wave hits the Midwest, we are absolutely seeing that um, on on corn, we're seeing that on soybeans, and uh, we could potentially be looking at some challenges in the uh, spring wheat spring wheat conditions. Um, let's see here. Yeah, we have uh, the U.S. government report on uh, crop crop conditions did show an unexpected decline in spring wheat conditions, which puts uh, a little more emphasis back on supply side with wheat. Uh, also, I uh, was, was re- reading a report uh, just a few minutes ago, and uh, let me just hop over here and get my notes in front of me, that the, um, of course, you know, we've talked in the past about about the Black Sea corridor and the Russians not letting the Ukrainian grain through there, well, that, that agreement has fallen apart, and as you, as you know from watching the headlines, the Russians and the Ukrainians are not in much of a talkative mood these days, so the European Commission has decided to uh, compensate the Ukrainians for delivering Ukrainian grain to European seaports by other methods than the Black Sea corridor, which of course is more expensive. If you look at a map, you can see that does mean a lot more overland travel. It is more expensive. In some cases, they may have to hire transport from. From third party countries that, that do have a, a better relationship with Russia. So uh, that's a problem. And if you're wondering why would the EU be willing to do this, it's because basically it is impossible to guarantee global food security without Ukrainian grain. Uh, Ukrainian grain is absolutely key to feeding Europe and a substantial portion of Asia. Um, and it's although they're a competitor to the US and problems in Ukraine lead to to short-term benefits for U.S. producers in the long run. Hungry people don't benefit uh, very many of us. So, uh we see, we see a few things going on there. Uh, we had a little bit of news in rice. Um, as you know, last month India imposed a ban on the export of uh, widely consumed non uh white rice out of India. They're, they're gonna keep that in India. They did announce today that they will not be restricting parboiled rice exports. That's a lot of your instant rices, so it's some of your white rices that, that come out of India. Now, again, you know, this is a direct competitor to U.S. rice, but it's certainly something that uh, the U.S. rice producers and U.S. rice consumers will be wanting to uh, to keep uh, keep a close watch on. Uh, Something else here that ties in with our previous story is last week, uh, government sources in India told Reuters that India is in talks with Russia to import wheat at a discount from Russia, so uh, they are looking at possibly taking some of that Russian crop. Clearly, this has significance for Ukraine. This has significance for uh, for U.S. producers who were maybe hoping to uh, to ship wheat to India. There, so uh, there's a few things there going on on the commodity side. Um, also, one other thing um, in terms of looking forward to the to the long run is that uh, some Chinese soybean buyers at a soy export conference have uh, told U.S. buyers that they believe 2023 will be a bit larger than many projections, but they say in the long run, they believe import volumes of soybeans into China could, uh, could be stagnant or even fall off a little bit. Uh, they said that the main factors for uh, the Chinese demand for soy to peak soon are an aging population. Apparently, they've got the same demographic curve that we do. And um, as, as baby boomers like myself keel over, then uh, they're looking at fewer people to feed because the next generation uh, did, not, uh, did not have the same size families, and their one-child, one-family policy is restricting their population a little bit. And also, uh, we're also seeing that a young Chinese uh, prefer chicken more than pork, and an awful lot of the soybeans that we uh, ship to China is going into uh, feed for hogs. So, uh, in the long run, some concerning news out of China um, for soy production. In the short run, we, we could see some increased imports uh, here coming into, uh, into the new year.
0: All right. Um, yeah, anything else to add as far as the uh, conditions with market volatility and grains. Do we expect uh, this to continue? You know, here we are in late August, you know, a few, uh, you know, September's coming around the corner. Of course, who knows what it's going to actually be like. But uh, with aug- with autumn, not too far away. Um, yeah. What does this kind of paint a picture for our commodities markets going forward then?
1: Well, um, I'm glad you asked. Uh, I just happened to have run across a a story that came out of uh, Kansas State. Um, And Dan O'Brien, who's a researcher there at Kansas State University, um, is saying that the uh, soybean crop, uh, especially the Kansas crop, but also the Iowa crop, Um, is very, very vulnerable because it is in the reproductive stage and that could push prices higher. Um, He says if there's a significant risk of yields going from 50.9 bushels per acre down to 50, down to 49 or 48, then there's less room to absorb much of the production cut. Now, this may not seem like a lot. We're talking one or two bushels per acre, but he's talking about at the national level. And, uh, and at the national level, losing a bushel per acre is, uh, is pretty substantial. And they are thinking that with soybeans at states that they're in right now, they could see as much as a three or four bushel per acre uh, reduction. In, uh, in yield. Uh, now he's saying corn is a different story uh, because corn is at a different stage of development right now and also uh, we're our stocks on corn are a lot better so at this point uh, we would have to uh, actually get get down to uh, below 2 billion down to uh, 1.5 to 1.7 bushels of corn before we would really see any sort of upward pressure on the supply side. Um, Now, now O'Brien said that according to the K-State calculations, they believe that wheat prices will continue to struggle, says wheat from Europe, if not other places, has been cheap enough with currency differentials coming into the U.S. and competing for exports. So there's another take from Kansas. And, uh, you know, the crux of it is, is that soybeans could see a little bit of a bump in price for those of us here in southeast Missouri who have gotten rains and are and surviving this, uh, this, this heat wave, okay, this may be a chance where, uh, where our fortune is someone else's misfortune as they, as they melt away and burn, burn up uh, further up into the, into the Midwest and uh, further west of here. But uh, that, that remains to be seen. We'll see what the crop conditions look like next week. And, uh, and actually, uh, before, before I move too far on, on, I also did want to throw out and uh, just a quick news here before I got too far away that uh, this is a, a bit of good news. You know, the past couple of seasons, we have talked about the bird flu. Yeah. And, and I am happy to say that this season, we are so far not talking about the bird flu. Um, you know, as you may recall, the bird flu killed uh, 58, almost 59 million birds in domestic flocks in 2022 and early this year. But so far this year, since Memorial Day, there have only been three outbreaks um, that have killed 1,800 birds nationally since Memorial Day, and all those were in New York State. So, uh, so that's that is some good news. And it turns out that uh, between uh, between weather and uh, efforts by the USDA and by poultry producers to limit the spread of uh, of the highly highly pathogenic avian influenza have uh, have proven successful so that's that's all very good news
0: absolutely absolutely good good news uh for our bird markets absolutely um and uh, a favorite story of mine every year and uh a discovery that i made of course on this show was the existence of butter sculptures and uh and our butter cows um and we had one from the uh the, the state Fair this year right the, we've got and, as well as a few other big takeaways from the from the state fair that, that, but that, that among them
1: Absolutely absolutely we, I am happy to say I, I spent last week up at the uh, state Fair and uh, a couple of takeaways One is that and, and I'm sorry I didn't have a picture the, the glare was was really bad there in the dairy and I couldn't get a great picture but if you go to the Missouri Department of Agriculture website, um, or the Missouri State Fair website, you can see the most important reason to go to Sedalia, which is the butter sculpture, which was a very, very substantial sculpture licking the head of a life-size boy, uh, giving him a literal cow lick uh, with with his tongue, and and I have to tell you, it, it was it, it was impressive. I've seen pictures of the Iowa butter cow and. Uh, if, if I was Iowa, I would not have even bothered. We, we had an outstanding, outstanding uh, butter cow at the state fair. And, and I'm telling you right now, make plans for next August. If you've never been to the state fair in Sedalia, you absolutely need to go there. Now, on a, on, on a more trivial sort of a note, we also talked with a lot of legislators about the uh, about the Farm Bill and about, about other issues. Um, and of course, there there were a lot of uh, candidates there as well. This is always the unofficial start of the campaign season. So at the ham breakfast, there are actually more candidates than there are just voters and attendees. But um, but we heard from a, there was there was there was a meeting with uh, with members of the House Ag Committee, and, and at their request, they came. They they toured. They they went to it. Went to the dairy facility. Asked a lot of questions of the of the farmers there. There was a lot of good feedback, and also got to visit with uh, some members of our Senate delegation with uh, both Senators Holly and Senator Schmidt there. and And the two big takeaways are that both the House and the Senate believe that they will have a farm bill to look at by the end of this year. The bad news is that the two bodies aren't necessarily talking to each other all that well, and. Uh, and they're probably going to come up with two different versions. So, uh, so that is almost certainly going to go into reconciliation, and that, in a, in, a, in a perfect situation, could be done as early as January or February. In a more challenging year, that could go out into next summer. What that means realistically, because Congress will not want to make a new Farm Bill effective in January or February or March, when producers have already made their planning decisions, technology decisions, maybe done some of their marketing for the year. That that means that at this point, there is a roughly 99% chance that the new farm bill will go into effect next September, in September of 2024, and that we will be looking at, if not exactly an extension of this farm bill until September of 24, a de facto extension of this farm bill. So uh, I think that unless something dramatic happens in the next two or three months, then uh, you can pretty well expect that the farm bill you have today is the farm bill that you're gonna have a year from today. So you can plan your crops, plan your planning, plan your marketing around that.
0: All right. Absolutely, good news or good good information. Good news, uh, always something good to know uh, from the state uh, fair. As we we talked last week, and, and folks can find those interviews uh, there on our website. We talked uh, with um, both Vivek Malik, who is the state treasurer, uh, who, who is at the state fair and uh, speaking about the recent news about Missouri's efforts to help farmers during the droughts, help with uh, those loan relief programs. Um, and then we spoke as well with the Missouri Farm Bureau uh, president there as, uh, as he was he was there and, and re- reacting to the news as well about the loan program. And so we are uh, a bit in touch up there in Sedalia.
1: Um, as, we, as we look ahead then- By the way, the, the, short, the short version of, of all of that is that if you're a producer who is who is looking at drought related losses um, that, that are going to affect your ability to repay crop loans, talk, go, talk to your banker again because basically the state is releasing funds to, to the small banks that do ag, lend, ag lending to extend those loans under favorable terms. So that's, that's in a nutshell what's going on. So talk to your banker. If you're, if, you're, if you're in trouble, talk to your banker right now. There is some help coming from the state.
0: All right, great stuff. Absolutely good to know. Um, we're we're looking as well a little bit about farmers markets, uh, what their state is. You know this this popular kind of tradition this time of year for for folks to engage in and and get those locally go, uh, grown goodies. Can you can you tell us a little bit about the struggle here? Um, what the takeaways are? If there's any fix,
1: sure. Well, this this is a, a new uh, a new study that came out of uh, New Hampshire, um, and uh, this was up at the University of New Hampshire's Hampshire's uh, Carsey School of Public Policy. But I'll backtrack just a second. Some of you all may remember about a year ago, I had a, a Missouri researcher, um, a, a professor by the name of Caleb Robertson, talk to us about marketing beef. And, and the difference in marketing beef as Missouri-grown versus locally-grown versus locally, you know, different labels. And uh, where he found, you know, in fact, that people were willing, consumers were willing to pay a premium and a higher premium for Missouri-grown than they were for, for locally-grown. Uh, and if you, you can go, if you, if you do a quick Google for Caleb Robertson and locally-grown, you can, you can see some of that research which is pretty useful uh, for, for a lot of livestock producers, especially that are trying to vertically integrate and market some of their own meat. So a lot of folks are looking at how do you market these things? Well, of course, it's not such a huge thing here here in the boot heel, but certainly um, in urban environments and, uh, and even semi-urban, like, like in Cape Girardeau, St. Louis, uh, most, a, lot of, a lot of medium-sized towns now have got farmers markets and a lot of folks are looking at different ways to market their produce through market, through those farmer markets. And this this poll from the University of New Hampshire found actually that people were less interested in the food being local or the size of the vendors than researchers previously believed. Uh, For a long time it's just been kind of accepted wisdom that when you were selling at a farmer's market you wanted to emphasize that you were a very small farm located just outside of town you know the ideal um, farmers market vendor was somebody who had a quarter acre garden patch right over there and that's where these peppers that's where these eggs that's where this whatever came from Well what they found is that um, a lot of these farmer market farmers markets have grown in the last several years but they' they've stagnated a little bit and the University of New Hampshire found that basically farmers markets, serve a niche market that that they are not in competition with your grocery store they're not in competition with with walmart or costco or whatever big box store you might get groceries from that this is an, an audience that's that comes there looking for specific things well that was one thing that was a little bit of news to uh, some of these folks taking their crops to uh, farmers markets but the other thing was that they found out that 70 percent of respondents considered taste quality healthiness and affordability to be the most important qualities so in other words they they were more willing to buy an affordable tomato that tasted good than they were to pay extra for the same tomato that came from the quarter acre plot just over there and uh, this this is news and uh, and one thing that that this means is that you if you were marketing your 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 produce from a uh, from a farmer's market. It means you probably need to start marketing in terms of in terms of cost, in terms of flavor. Uh, flavor was was very very important. Uh, for instance, only twenty one percent said that they thought it was important that they know the person uh, selling to them. And so uh, you know, it says that. That it's time to market food on food quality at your at your farmers market. That you can still serve that niche market, but if you want to lure somebody out of the Kroger or the Costco or the Walmart, then uh, you're you're going to need to uh, you're going to need to compete with those places on on flavor and price. Um, they did also say that um, people's identities were very big, and this is something that Caleb Robertson also looked at in terms of. And I don't necessarily mean ethnic or sexual or gender identity, but do you consider yourself the type of person who shops at a, at a, at a farmer's market? And what they found out was that was very important and uh, this is going to be a challenge for farmers markets moving forward since the type of people who want to believe that they are that type of people are pretty well shopping at farmers markets. So. Anyhow, there's, uh, there's some good news. You might want to Google uh, University of New Hampshire and farmer's markets if you, are, uh, if you are carrying your tomatoes or your watermelons or your peaches or whatever to a farmer's market somewhere and uh, see if there's something in there that might give you some advice on how to market. Uh, the biggest takeaway in simplest terms is market your food on, on price and taste. If, if you can market your tomatoes, these tomatoes or these peaches or these watermelons, Taste great, and they're not very expensive. The other stuff can contribute, but that those are the two big factors that consumers were, were looking at. And uh, now, granted, this was a poll in New Hampshire, but I believe that this would uh, this should be fairly universal. And maybe maybe we'll have some local some local researchers. I know there's some good folks at Semo State there uh, who are doing some some good work. So maybe maybe we'll see the uh, Southeast Missouri version of this research in a year or two. And, see if our Southeast Missouri consumers feel the same way.
0: Apologies there. Yes, I uh, had, the, had the microphone off in the, the background. Uh, do we want to jump then to our last story of the day? We want to uh, sure. briefly make any notes about the World Trade Organization and uh, the trade war tariffs.
1: But, well, let's go ahead and move on. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to the news on the WTO in China uh, next week, but um, that, that, that can wait. This, <laughs> I, I saw this story and I thought I really, really need to, uh, to let my, my friends and neighbors know about this.
0: And, if, if it and apparently, in England, there's it a could new come over here too, and that that's important to know.
1: <laughs> What's that? It,
0: it starts in England, <laughs> and then it could catch on here. So it may be important to to, to be aware early on that uh, what what could happen here.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And apparently, in England, naked farm photography has caught on to the point that uh, that there is a sunflower for the Stoke fruit farm that raises, among other things, a substantial crop of sunflowers, is having to ask visitors to please leave their clothes on during uh, during their, their open hours. They do family tours through their farm, I guess a little bit like what they do there at Beggs and some of the other uh, farms around here, are like up at the uh, Perryville pumpkin patch that my good friends the Cane Eggs run. Uh, I have to check with them to see if anyone is out doing a naked pumpkin photography. But they have had problems with people taking nude pictures of themselves to post on social media and, uh, and have had to actually go to Facebook and go to Instagram and put the reminder, we are a family area, please keep your clothes on in the sunflowers. Now, Now, when I did mention this to some of the guys working on our farm, which is coincidentally located at 1525 State Highway EE in Gideon, um, they they said that they would certainly be keeping an eye out in case this uh, caught on here. Um, but but I should give. I also want to extend a warning because uh, we do have a lot of sunflowers down here in the boot heel, and dove season opens up next weekend, and so. Uh, if you are planning to go out and have your nude pictures taken in the sunflower field, be aware that a lot of those sunflowers were planted for dove feed, and um, and those fields are going to be full of dove hunters um, a little before sunrise on September 1st. So I would, uh, you know, on that day, I guess you might want to go do your, uh, your your naked farm photography in a cotton field or a soybean field. But uh, I would leave the I would certainly leave the sunflower fields, the corn fields, and the milo fields um, alone that day. But uh, anyhow, that's uh, that's something we'll be uh, if if we see any of it. Maybe we'll come back next week with a report on uh, on. How how much uh nude farm photography has caught on down here in the boot heel.
0: It's uh <laughs> it's hard to wear orange to avoid hunting when you you're not wearing anything at all. So that is uh important too. <laughs> important. Maybe somebody, to. I don't know. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Yes, yeah, very very uh good note to take that uh don't, don't 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 make it a thing here. We can leave this, uh leave this elsewhere. But uh that's um uh, good, I don't know. I was about to say that was a good news story of the day. I don't know that that's true. Uh, Barry Bean with the Missouri Farm Bureau Board. Thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate your time.
1: All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right.
0: <laughs> and to our audience as well, thank you for t- tuning in. We're going to turn it back over to Local News Live. Stick around. More just around the corner.